Church, we are in the last day of a very short series called Red Carpet Ready. We're talking about the movies that are going to be recognized at the Academy Awards next week. And uh, the movie that we're going to talk about today is a movie called Joker. And it is not a, uh, it's not a typical Pastor Hope movie uh, <laughs> for, for many reasons, um, but it is nominated for 11 Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor for Joaquin Phoenix, Best Adapted Screenplay. Um, it is a movie that a lot of people have, have gone to go see, and therefore that means there's a lot of people out in the world talking about it. And that gives us an opportunity as a church to engage them with the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to talk about Joker and, and how we, as people of faith, can engage the world in that discussion. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for this good opportunity. Help us to try and do something good with it. In your name we pray. Amen. So when we walked out of the movie theater last week, Anna says to me, Mom, you're, you're not really going to preach on Joker, are you? And I have to be honest that when we went into the theater, I wasn't sure that I was going to do that. But by the time that we came out, there was no doubt in my mind that there are several really important themes that are addressed in Joker that, that need the prophetic voice of the church to bring some light into some very serious darkness. It's really important, especially if you haven't seen it, to understand some very basic things about Joker, this particular movie, not, not the character. It's not a cartoon, and it's not about the part that involves Batman. And, and I mention this because I'm not a comic book superhero type person myself, and so it's completely understandable that many people would just write Joker off thinking that this is just another variation of the Batman story. The other thing worth mentioning about Joker is that it's not new. The storyline in Joker is not new. It has a very similar plot line to a movie called Taxi Driver that was released in 1976. The basic premise of Joker is that it's the origin story of Batman's nemesis whose real name is Arthur Fleck. That's not what makes Joker disturbing. If you took this film and you removed all of the references to Bruce Wayne, to Gotham, to Arkham Hospital, you would essentially be watching a story that has become the template for much of the real-life violence that fills our newspapers and televisions today. In fact, if you remember, when Joker was released in the fall, there was great controversy around it because it had been such an incredibly violent summer for our country that, that there was some question as to whether or not this movie should even be released at all. In Joker, Arthur is a mentally ill comedian who is disregarded and mistreated by society. And at his breaking point, he embarks on this downward spiral of revolution and bloody crime, evolving into what we now understand as the character that is Joker. And what makes this movie so particularly intriguing is that the audience is introduced to Arthur Fleck long before he becomes the Joker, reminding us 
that before he became evil and violent, he was a person, a person who was desperate to be loved and accepted and acknowledged. So today we're going to talk about two facets of, of this movie, mental illness and then also our society's morbid attraction to violence. Joker is the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. It cleared a billion dollars, easy peasy, didn't even look back. And it got its R rating exclusively and 100% because of the violence, which means that there's a whole lot of people who went to see a movie and spent a whole lot of money to see a movie that they knew walking in the door was inherently violent. And they wanted to go see it anyway. Our scripture today stands in direct contradiction to this passive acceptance that we have come to about violence. The NIV translation of Proverbs 3.31 is pretty cut and dry. Do not envy the violent and do not choose any of their ways. It's very, very clear. And on some level, it's super easy for many of us to sit here and just say, well, I would never choose that path. I could never be Joker. I, I would never do that. But what, part of what makes Joker so incredibly disturbing is that it demonstrates how so many people, if they were given a choice, would actually choose violence in order to be heard and to be seen. If you talk to teachers, even elementary school teachers, and they will tell you about children who every single day do something, not violent, but something disturbing or something that, that is not helpful. And they do it because that's how they are going to get attention. That's how they are going to be recognized and acknowledged that they even exist. So instead of everyone in Gotham being wholeheartedly unified in their horror over two extremely violent murders, a whole contingent of society in this film sees this famed murderer as a superhero who is worthy to be emulated. And before you know it, there's hundreds of people running all around Gotham with clown masks, fighting, destroying property, wreaking havoc, just like their hero, who up until this point has never been acknowledged by anybody. Does that, does that sound familiar to you? Does it sound disturbingly familiar to you? That's what happens when we become so desensitized to violence that instead of being able to, to clearly and unequivocally say that is not okay, we start to rationalize and we start to try and explain behaviors. I can't tell you how many moviegoers left the theater almost feeling sorry for Joker. And they were willing to overlook the horrific violence that he left in his wake. But that should sound familiar to you too. Because every time we have a school shooting, and every time we talk about the children that commit these shootings, what do we hear over and over again? that they were a loner, that they had challenges, that they were bullied. We hear this over and over and over again. Arthur just wanted to be seen. 
He wanted to be acknowledged. He wanted to be treated with respect. I think that's what all of us want. More than that, God created us for relationships. We were created with a DNA that says that we need to be in relationship with other people and with God. And then he gave us these commandments that are our fundamental principles that guide these relationships that we're going to have with other people. When we strip that away from other, others, whether we do that intentionally or ignorantly, we degrade their humanity, their creation, and we devalue what God is doing in them. If you hold Joker in contrast to A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which we talked about last week, you get to see what happens on the other end of the spectrum when broken people are patiently loved and accepted and nurtured. So when we get to 1 Peter this morning, it's interesting to read the sentence that comes right before this discussion on evil and violence. Finally, all of you have unity of the spirit, sympathy, love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All of you, meaning it is the responsibility of all of us to have a unity of the spirit, sympathy, love for one another, tender heart, and a humble mind. That's the starting place for relationship. One of the first scenes in Joker, Arthur is dressed as a clown. That's his profession. And he's holding a sign to attract customers into a store. If you've driven anywhere in Bradenton, you have seen someone holding signs like that. In fact, we have a member of the church that does that during tax season. But what happens to Arthur is that a group of young men, for no reason whatsoever, they take his sign, they run off with it, he chases them, and they beat him to a pulp, leaving him on the ground. Arthur didn't pick that fight. He wasn't looking for it. He was out there trying to do his job, a job which these young men did not think was very worthy. It was birthed out of a lack of unity, a lack of love, an untender heart, an arrogance that leads one person to believe that they are better than another person. Ten minutes into this film, and you already see someone, a human being, created by God, completely degraded just because some other people felt like it. In 1 Peter, the followers of Christ are called to be unified in the Spirit, meaning that they're bound together by their desire to pursue the heart of Christ. Now, where this gets challenging and, and why it's so important that it's listed first, that unity that we have in Christ, is that sometimes we as followers of Christ have very little else in common. We like different sports teams, we like different movies, different restaurants, we get passionate about our preferences, and often is the case that we will engage in smack talk against those who have different viewpoints. But sometimes, sometimes it goes beyond smack talk and it ends up in war. Don't believe me? Consider any debates about politics. How many times have we pointed out as a church that there are people who are followers of Jesus who also happen to be Republicans? And there are also followers of Jesus who happen to be Democrats. And there are also followers of Jesus who happen to be neither. But first and foremost, we call ourselves Christians, and as such, 
the one thing, the one thing that we need to be unified in is our desire to pursue and follow the heart of Christ to the best of our abilities. And we do that by showing sympathy, love for one another, having tender hearts and humble minds. And that can manifest itself in many ways. It manifests itself, you do not give the stink eye to a child in worship that cannot sit still. It manifests itself when we show up 20 minutes early to help things get set up. It manifests itself when we notice that one of our elderly members needs help getting across the parking lot. We bring them inside safety, safely. It manifests itself when we encourage the students of the church to be the ones to read the scripture on Sunday mornings, when we welcome people who do not look like us or speak like us into this fellowship, when we embrace families with special needs in the same way, the same exact way that we embrace families that do not have those same needs. Those are many of the ways that as a church, we can show that unity of spirit. Now, that doesn't mean that we get it right all the time. We try, but we are not perfect, and sometimes we make mistakes, so we ignore someone, or we say something that is unkind, or we judge them, or we make ourselves feel better at their expense. And when that happens, family, when that happens, not if, but when that happens, Scripture tells us, do not repay evil for evil or abuse for abuse, but on the contrary, repay with blessing. Because it is for this that you were called, that you would inherit a blessing. For those who desire life and desire to see good days, let them keep their tongues from evil and their lips from deceit. Let them turn away from evil and do good. Let them seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are opened to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So at the end of the day, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of grace that is rooted in forgiveness. That's the whole purpose of Jesus, that out of his abundant love, he forgives us, pays for our sins, saves us, and then restores us in our relationships with each other and with God. So our default reaction, if we are following Jesus, when someone hurts us, cannot be retribution. Do not repay evil for evil. Jesus modeled that for us in his own persecution and ultimately in his death. 1 Peter 2.23, just a little bit before our passage today, reads that when he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. In his darkest moments, when he could have chosen evil, Jesus instead turned to the Father and he let the Father fight his battles. We are called to do the same. Now the problem with that is that if we had approached Arthur Fleck with this information, we would have faced some additional challenges. For starters, this is a scripture that is directed towards believers, and that does not appear to be who Arthur is. But as the movie unfolds, you discover that Arthur did not grow up in the best of circumstances, and he was the product of an abusive mother who struggled with mental illness herself. And so we have to talk, church, about mental illness. And that's something that, that historically churches are, are not great about doing. Mental illness is another component 
which can hinder us from seeing and hearing the gospel clearly. And in order for the church to most effectively speak life into those who struggle with mental illness, there's some things that we need to know, to learn about, that will help us to grow in our sympathy and our love for one another, our tenderheartedness, and our humility. So the first thing is this. Mental illness is a medical issue. It is a disease like cancer or diabetes. And as such, it is not the fault of the parents, nor is it the fault of the ill person. And I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how that plays out in the life of the church. Because there's a good chance that you know somebody in the church that is a diabetic. There's a good chance that you know somebody in the church who has struggled with cancer. There is a far smaller chance that you are aware that there are people in our congregation who struggle with mental illness. And given the choice, no one ever would choose to be mentally ill. And the church, the church would never dream of stigmatizing somebody with cancer or diabetes. So we need to be very careful that we don't do that to those who have mental illness. Because mental health is, has been stigmatized for such a long time, it can be very isolating and very lonely for those who struggle with it. In Joker, it is abundantly clear that Arthur is alone. There is no one on his team and he desperately, desperately wants a team. And team is the right word because, because mental illness is such a complicated thing, it takes effort and it takes intentionality with, for, with those who are struggling with mental illness. So something that if we are not aware of it, if we are not paying attention to it, if we're not talking about it, can easily isolate someone. It cannot just be a simple hello on a Sunday morning and passing, and oftentimes it requires some initiative on our part. Now, I want to be super clear about this. That does not mean that everyone in this room is equipped as a mental health counselor or therapist. To my knowledge, there are two and only two people in the entire congregation, all three services, who are qualified and trained for that work, Neither one of them is Pastor Sung or myself. But that does not mean that the rest of us are excused from our role on the support team for individuals with mental illness. There are a lot of things that we can do. One, we can be open in our discussions about it. We can be very clear about how we talk about it as a church family and how we talk about it in passing we can make sure that there is a, not a stigma that is attached to it in this place, that everyone is welcomed and accepted. There also is support for those who need a little bit more intentional effort in order to be able to thrive in the world. So that means that we need to be prepared to refer people to get the help that they need, and not just refer them, but help them and encourage them to make appointments, to get to appointments. 
If we had a member of the church who was going through dialysis and they needed help getting there, we would work together as a church to make that happen. It should be no different for our brothers and sisters that need mental health assistance. So we cannot simply throw away God's beloved who are mentally ill because they might make us uncomfortable or because their needs are inconvenient. This is something that we as a church, particularly here in this service, have been working very hard on for the last several years. It is why we have so many families in the church that have children and adults with special needs, and those families are welcomed in this place. It is why we have so many families dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia, because we, we as the church family have decided to train ourselves and to get ourselves ready to embrace them. The goal has always been that everyone, everyone who walks into this place needs to be able to walk out of here knowing that they too are beloved and precious to God. And that is a team effort on all of our parts. In Joker, one of the most scenes and, and one of the most disturbing scenes, because it's so very real, is when Arthur is sitting there and he's talking to a late night television host and he starts a joke, a joke, by saying, what do you get when you cross a mentally ill loner with a society that abandons him and treats him like trash? And the punchline is, you get what you deserve, and he kills the host immediately. Sound familiar? Does it sound like the stories that you hear on television? These places where people come on and they say, oh, if we'd only known, if we'd only seen, it, it, we, just, we just didn't know. But yet there were thousands of people around Arthur Fleck all day and no one seemed to notice. In that moment, Arthur tells you everything that you need to know about how evil creeps into our weaknesses and exploits us when we are at our lowest and the world around us has abandoned us. And then you have scripture, the scripture that calls us for a unity of spirit, of sympathy, of love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So yeah, at the end of the day, Joker could just be the origin story of Batman's arch nemesis. It could just be an Academy Award-winning film with an Academy Award-winning actor. It could just be a violent, shoot-em-up, gory drama. Or, or it could be a wake-up call to the followers of Christ that there is an evil world out there that we are unequivocally called to shine light into the darkness into by having a unity of spirit a love for one another, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And that is not something that we can take as a joke. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we confess that um, we don't always notice. We don't always see people, and, and there's even times when we intentionally do not see people because we don't want to get involved, we don't want to be bothered, we most definitely do not want to be disturbed. And so we pray. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would be upon us and that you would open our eyes to see those around us who are struggling, who are hurting, 
who need to know that they are beloved and that they are not alone. Help us work together as a congregation to have a unity of spirit that comes with sympathy and a tender heart and a humble mind. In your name we pray. Amen.